Welcome to What the Foster, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to the voiceless, the often unheard and invisible population of current and former youth in foster care. What the Foster is produced by Umbrella, a New Jersey foster care nonprofit. I'm your host, Frank. Before we begin, we just wanted to note that there were some technical difficulties with our audio for this interview, so a large portion of it will have reduced quality. We apologize for this inconvenience, but we really believe that it's important to bring you this story in Stephanie's own words, and we thank you for bearing with us. For the past two episodes, we followed Stephanie through care and into an independent living program where she began pursuing college. When we last left her, Stephanie had received a large grant and had applied to a number of schools, including her eventual alma mater, Ryder University. This week, in the final episode of season one, Stephanie shares with us not only the steps she took to follow her dreams, but also the emotional obstacles that she conquered along the way. This is part three of Stephanie's story. Um, so a couple of things. I saw a brochure, <laughs> had Ryder's name on it, and then it said three things you should know about Ryder and why you should pick Ryder. Number one, 98% of this faculty have a master's degree or PhD um, degree. None of the classes are taught by um, teachers, uh, what do you call them? Student teachers? Okay, yep. Because some universities mm -hmm. actually allow for student teachers to teach uh, the courses, and I wanted mine to be taught by, you know, faculty who've the had experts. years of experience. And, and nothing against student teachers, but I, I just particularly wanted faculty to teach my classes. And it was also a mid-sized campus, so it wasn't too big, like Rutgers, where you'd have to get bussed around. But it wasn't too small, like a college, like, you know, Felician College, where it's like very small, um, it's in North Jersey, and you could still have the space to not run into the same person like 10 times. So I applied, um, I got in, and I loved the campus. It was beautiful. Um, it was situated between like five minutes from Princeton and also Trenton. And um, yeah, it, it was just awesome. It felt home. Stephanie was focused. Feeling more American than German or Ghanaian, she was determined to forge her own success in this country. However, her determination to succeed and her own personal delight over her school of choice were at times overshadowed by those haunting ideas of difference and abandonment. I remember the day when I was leaving for college because I had to give up my living, independent living room space. And it was a tinge of sadness because while there, I see I saw all the students with their parents. I didn't have parents. Even high school graduation was like an emotional moment for me because I didn't have. Even I had the staff in, of independent living program there and they were happy to see me graduate. There's no feeling as having your parents there and watching you walk. So for me, always it was like an isolating moment for me, even though I had support folks there <laughs> who were there to support me. This image is critical to remember. A common theme in the success of foster youth this season has been the involvement of supportive adults. When Stephanie looked around at her graduation, or as she moved into her dorm, she was looking into a field of youth who had succeeded in large part because their family, their support structure, was in place. According to speakupnow.org, 50% of foster youth never graduate high school or obtain a GED, and only 15% ever attend college. But what if every child in care could have a supportive group of adults, as Stephanie, Casey, Shakri, and Ananda did? 
Even with those adults helping her along, Stephanie still struggled with everything that had happened to her. Um, college was just different. I think out of all the experiences that I've had, college was the most intimidating one because, um, I don't know why, but it was just intimidating. I, and I think I shared this with you on the phone, that because of the stigma and having gone through the process of uh, independent living, and by the way, in high school, um, where I lived, people knew that it was an independent living program. So folks were aware that I was in an independent living, uh, uh, I guess, dorm or building. Did you feel people building. treated you differently? They didn't, but there was definitely, oh, those are the ILP kids. Uh, and in that in the township of Phillipsburg, there was also a group home that was connected to the ILP facility that I was in. So. I would hear often people say, and not in a negative way, right. but, oh, those are the group home kids, or those are the ILP kids. Well, why yeah, just say those are the those kids? kids yeah. Those kids, right? Um, and I try not to focus on that too much, but I'm sure there were times that people felt really pity for me because of my situation, and I didn't want that for college. I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna start a little differently. I'm not gonna share with everyone where I came from. So I can have a clean slate, and people can judge me based on who I am versus where I came from. In the last episode, Stephanie recounted the story of one girl who had found out she was in foster care. Despite being rather private about it, Stephanie did mention that she was able to confide in this friend. However, recalling the stigma attached to her by virtue of her involvement with the independent living program, Stephanie was determined to move beyond the trauma of her teenage years. She loaded up her days with extracurriculars. Yeah, um, different things. So college, I was involved in everything. I was like, I'm gonna be involved, I'm gonna run for class, vice president. I was in SGA, I joined a sorority. I joined so many, like there was not one year where I wasn't involved in anything. I was a model you want. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I found mentors in college. So I was just like, I'm gonna make college experience the best experience for me. And I also was part of a dry campus um, experience. So Ryder wasn't big on partying. They were before, but and they, they, they had, yeah. due to, le I guess, legal yeah. <laughs> reasons, they had to become a dry campus. So you have to figure out a way to make things fun for you. And mm -hmm. I didn't have a car. So I enjoyed my college experience. And it, it kind of distracted me from all the things in, uh, that I experienced. Despite her own defense mechanisms, Stephanie discovered the power of vulnerability. Slowly, she began to open up. So. Um, I blocked certain memories out, and I think for me, I started sharing with certain people that I was getting close to, but I was so hesitant to share. And that was mainly because I didn't trust myself, I didn't trust my feelings, and I didn't trust for people to accept me and acceptance. As she let down her guard, Stephanie began discovering new ways she could begin to process everything she'd been through. Kind words from just one single listener became the spark she needed to fully engage with her own vulnerability and her courage. Well, when it comes to vulnerability, and I've learned through, um, I guess, through my adulthood self-discovery and journey, 
that vulnerability is uncomfortable for a lot of people because there is no trust. And the trust really starts with yourself. So if you're vulnerable and you're sharing with other people, you know that in that vulnerable moment, you are sharing something very prized, a treasure, a piece of private life with another person. It's almost like you're giving another person a piece of yourself that you normally wouldn't so willingly share. And so that person that you're giving that to has a responsibility. Or maybe they don't have the responsibility. They can really do whatever they want to do with it, right? Yeah. And so that's why when you're talking to people, you often hear, oh, you know what, your, your secret is safe with me. Or it's OK, you can talk to me about this stuff. Because by saying that, you're giving the person that's being vulnerable the OK right. or safe word that you're, whatever you're sharing with me is going to stay safe. Yeah. And safety is a central theme for kids in foster care, right? In many ways. Either we didn't, we didn't have that, so we're craving for that, or um, um, you know, we have that and it was taken away from us. So safety, well, really, with any human being, safety is always number one. So for me, I had to learn that whatever happened to me, wasn't because I did something wrong, but they happened. Isolating the incidents that happened. And then being able to talk about them, because for a long time, it, would, it was hard for me to talk about it without crying. Right. Like, people, I can go through the worst pain, but talking about my family, talking about the foster care experience was a, excruciatingly painful for me. Well, I would cry the minute I uttered my mom and, and brother, because they weren't even with me. Right. So I had to get to an okay place to say, you know what, it's okay to talk about this and not get emotional about it. As she opened up, she began seeing the ways people responded to her story, and it helped her to come to a place of peace and understanding. Finally, she was ready to move forward. Some people cried, some people were just surprised, some people were truly inspired, some people were motivated to do something. And, you know, some people felt pity for me, and some people were like, wow, well, I definitely can't complain, ever complain about my life given what you've been through. Also, with pity, I had to realize that when people feel pity, it's empathy, it's not really pity. They just empathize, well, excuse me, what you've gone through, and they want to connect to you, they want to relate to you. And at the end of the day, we want to be understood. So when people show pity, it's the really empathizing with you. Um, and the actions that follow, right? Um, you can really sh see the heart of people. So I guess when it comes to mixed emotions, I felt better um, that I was able to share that moment with them and for them to feel those emotions. Um, because in times of vulnerability, you really connect with people. and. I'm sure each of us have a story to tell. At the core of vulnerability is courage and brave, you, and, and um, being brave. And you have to be brave. You have to be courageous to tell a story um, that can just be life-changing for many people. Still, her time and care became a driving factor in her life. Like the lingering words from those strangers in Phillipsburg, who identified her as an ILP kid, the myths and misconceptions around foster youth had gotten under her skin. You have to talk about it. 
And for me, joining a sorority, you know, I found a, a network of sisters and, 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 and women who were supportive and, and made it safe for me to talk about it. But I also joined a, uh, um, the campus therapy session for a little bit. So it was also the practice of talking, communication, expressing yourself, even if you don't know how to express yourself. That helped me. Um, and I guess within time, I, I think someone, uh, I, I shared my story with someone and they said, you know, you, you can really change, not change lives, but really make a good impact on other people's lives with your story because I'm sure many people are experiencing it. And by telling the story of yours, you can inspire them, you can motivate them, and you can empower them to look at things differently, right? So I was like, well, if I can use my story for good, then there's no reason for me to keep it inside. So by realizing that, I started to open up more because I realized that this is bigger than myself and there's someone out there that can benefit, truly benefit from hearing this. But of course, these misconceptions come from a lack of familiarity with what these youth go through. In a single night, these kids are suddenly expected to manage the trauma that caused their removal in the first place, while simultaneously dealing with feelings of grief, guilt, doubt, and fear. Before continuing, this is the point at which our audio quality degrades. Again, we apologize for the inconvenience. Here's Stephanie once more. Misunderstood. That they're misunderstood. I made it my business in every sense to prove people wrong that kids in foster care are not bad and number two they can succeed in life. I wanted to showcase that we are resilient, we're strong, we're, we're capable regardless of what position you put us in. We are capable, we deserve the same chance and we deserve the same amount of um, people to believe in us you know, to, to be great. And writing is so powerful, right? We've seen how written stories have changed the trajectory of uh, mankind and history. And anyone can be a writer, anyone can be a creator by sharing. And when you take part in that marketplace of sharing and connecting, you can make a difference. Coming to terms with all of this, however, was not an easy task for Stephanie. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard when you come from an environment when all you've seen is brokenness right. and you're tasked with, well, you come from a place of brokenness here, figure things out yeah. on your own. We have to figure things out on our own because we do have our DCPMP workers and yeah. uh, support staff, but it's isolating when and a lot of kids blame themselves for what happened, blame themselves for the reason mom and dad didn't get along. And abuse started happening. They blame themselves for um, the separation. I blame myself for the separation because I was the one that called the cops. During the time when my mom was physically assaulted because I knew she would never call the cops. Right. So I made that first call. Now in hindsight, looking at it, I saved my mom. Yeah. I saved our family. But at that time, I was the person that called the cops that started the process of the separation. I wish I had one moment, aha moment, where it happened, but I think it was a moment's affirmation from the universe to showcasing that you are in the right place and with the right people because 
my mom was starting to get better. My siblings were in okay environments. And so in that moment, I thought about the scenario. I thought about, well, what if I never call the cops? Because there was a moment in time where, again, decent PMP tries their hardest to reunite, reunite families. And I had to share my account, my story of what happened. And my story was the deciding factor in our family either coming back together or not. Because my mom had already given her account and she just looked at it as, oh, you know, this was just an incident and, you know, please, because her main thing was keeping the family together. Right, and that's also under, normal yeah, in these situations for and, that. And any circumstances. But for me, I, I guess I rebelled and I said, no, right. it's not okay. So I blame myself, and by blaming myself, I, I muted my voice. But when I came to the realization that my story could inspire people, you know, I started to open up. But for me to sit here and really talk to you, yeah. I also went through therapy. Journaling is so powerful. Although she's able to laugh about it now, all of these emotions came to a head for her in one unfortunate event. But Stephanie didn't know that this turn of bad luck would become a catalyst for healing. So I always share a secret with you. It wasn't until last year that I actually forgave myself. So I'm what, 28 years now? A moment in time came, it was summer, it was summertime, it was summer, I was taking summer courses. Okay. Because um, you can do that, you know, just to make up for, or get ahead, uh, for my purpose, I was trying to get ahead. Um, you know, bathroom uh, uh, door was a bit outdated and so, the door wouldn't open. I was locked in the bathroom for an hour and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Right. I was yelling, and but it's terrifying. Like, what if I get stuck here for days, no food? It was just so horrible and I'm just like, what am I gonna do? I'm trapped in this college dorm, girls bathroom. I was like, okay, life is gonna end. <laughs> and I was being overdramatic. But in that moment, I thought, I just had a flashback of life. I've been going and going, um, trying to prove myself having this anger within me and it's time that I let go. I made peace with my stepfather because at the core, he was, he triggered a lot of the traumatic events that happened in my life. So once I made peace with that, I think that was the first entry into uh, the forgiveness experience. Because the forgiveness experience is ever, it's evolving and it doesn't stop. So that was the first time I forgave someone. But Stephanie's stepfather was not the only person in need of forgiveness. Then last year, I finally forgave myself. I finally forgave myself in, in, during my therapy session uh, uh, with my therapist. I, I, I came into that moment that everything that happened in my life um, really was isolated um, because I was still blaming myself for a lot of things. Uh, guilt was a reoccurring theme for me, and guilt is a reoccurring theme for a lot of kids. Right. And that's why they shy away from telling their story because they feel like, well, if I say something, mom and dad is going to get in trouble. Yeah. Having gone through a period of abandonment, uh, negligence, um, uh, you know, abuse, those are very strong things yeah. to go through. Um, and I have to forgive myself that those had nothing to do with me. Um, it happened, but I'm going to make the 
best of it and by forgiving myself I'm giving myself a clean slate a clean slate that I'm all I've been always looking for right. for others to give me now I'm giving myself that because by doing so I can live my life truthfully and unapologetically I can actually sit down with you and talk about my journey that will hopefully inspire somebody right, right? Because um, if you've a- asked me this a few years ago, I would have probably said no. For Stephanie, a weight had been lifted. Her newfound perspective even helped her find clarity from a biblical story that she hadn't quite understood before. This weight had been removed, yeah, for sure. Um, the first weight of many. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, it's a journey. And it's interesting how in the Bible, and uh, I, I'm a, a believer, mm-hmm. uh, they talk about forgiveness a lot. And I'm just like, there's one particular quote that tells you if your brother or sister slaps you 77 times, you should forgive them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, why would you do that? Why right. would you allow somebody to even reach 77 times? Step and why right. would you forgive them each time? Because folks oftentimes misunderstand that forgiveness is really for you. Mm-hmm. It's for the forgiver, not the person that's offending. Mm -hmm. Because when you forgive, you are, what you're saying is I'm no longer going to be a prisoner of the situation that happened. I'm no longer going to let that situation holding me back. Just imagine, up until college, my stepfather or the things that he did was what's been the driving force for my life. So everything I did was to prove my worthiness to my stepfather who had wronged me, to prove my worthiness to people who had abandoned me, you know, the family member that I stayed with that didn't welcome me, to prove myself. And I never felt like Stephanie. I always felt I was going through the emotions. I was Mm -hmm. on autopilot. So even when I did things, well, what would that person think? I can't do this. I can't do that. So forgiveness is really for the for, for the person that's forgiving because you're saying that you you've made peace with that situation and you are ready to move on. You are ready to live your life on your own terms, not on anybody's terms. It was many events that led me to owning my story and and realizing that it's time. I, I would definitely encourage anybody that's in a foster care system. Try your best to surround yourself with positive people, right? So if you came from a broken home and all you saw was dysfunction, people try to normalize dysfunction as if it's okay. It's not okay. And, and, and the first thing is realizing that, acknowledging that it's not okay, and you deserve better. You deserve for people to speak life into you. People aren't giving you positive affirmations or treating you with the respect that you deserve. You do not need to be around those people. It doesn't matter if they're your family member, somebody you've known for a long time. You don't. You you deserve the absolute best. You know. And once you start doing that, you can reinforce that in your own life and also be confident. Because once you become confident with yourself, I think the pieces in your life that didn't make sense, you try to put them together. And you can own your story that is you. Your story is literally you, who you are the minute you walk into any room. Without even uttering words, you're communicating through your body language, you know, through eye contact, who you are with people. I tried my very best to surround myself with positive people, good people. Uh, I had maybe one or two incidents where the friendships didn't work out in college. Um, I guess because I've 
been comfortable being placed in different environments where I was I had to survive. I knew that at the end of the, the at the end of the day, if I had to be on my own, I would be okay. And I want people to know you will be just fine if you're on your own. You know, you are in charge and responsible for your own happiness. But I, yeah, I definitely try my best to surround myself with positive people. And I think my mom, when she got better, she also spoke positivity into my life. And and she she did, you know, growing up all the time. She's an encourager and a motivator. At the, it's innately uh, a part of who she is. Um, and obviously, when she was going through depression, she wasn't at her best right. to do that. But she always encouraged us to be our best and speak life and speak good things into our lives. And of course, as Stephanie was figuring all of this out, she was also busy with her college work. Her international background made her feel like a degree in international relations was a good fit. However, a mentor would make a suggestion that would change her direction completely. Uh, I picked international relations because I wanted to travel and become a diplomat, foreign service officer. In college, a mentor of mine, and this is why it's important to have mentors so they can guide you and have conversations with you about your life choices. Um, as a mentor of mine, uh, who was in political communication, asked, well, Steph, have you thought about PR? I'm like, no. Actually, his major was PR, but he wanted to go into the field of political communication. I'm like, oh, no, I don't know if I want to do PR. He's like, well, look into it. Your personality fits. It's all about relationship building, you know, um, you know, sharing stories with individual, and you'll be great at it. So I took a class. I fell in love with it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a PR major. Now. Right. So I started that journey. I didn't land any direct PR internships, but I did land an opportunity to work for Wells Fargo. And during that time, I worked for different departments, including communications. I'm like, hmm, I can definitely see myself working for this company and doing PR, the work of PR. And after my internship ended, um, I mean, fortunately, I got another opportunity to work for the former state of secret, former Secretary of State of New Jersey, mm. Reverend DeForest B. Soares. Oh, wow. um, and I don't know if we're allowed to like mention names or anything like that, but he he is a former Secretary of State mm -hmm. of New Jersey, and he's also a pastor of a mega church and super incredible leader, dynamic leader. I can go on and on. Uh, so through Wells Fargo. I led an opportunity with him, all relationship building. Right. Taught me a lot, and he actually had an agency called uh, Harvest of Hope. So how ironic! My experience in foster care, I end up working for an agency that deals with all of that and works with BCPMP. So it was just an amazing way to give back to the very organization that helped me get to where I am. And so I spent some time there doing specific PR work for the agency. And it was great. It was great to be able to tell the story, the mission, um, you know, put faces behind um, just the parents who are adopting or fostering kids and giving them that forever chance and how happy these kids and families are finding each other. And it was just such a rewarding experience for me and I'll forever be grateful for that. And um, that, from then on, I, I was just like, you know, PR is for me and I, got an opportunity to come back to Wells Fargo because I loved, I fell in love with the company and it was always my goal to come back and 
So I went back to Wells Fargo, uh, now as a communications consultant for the bank. And um, I have the amazing opportunity to tell incredible stories of the bank and how they connect with communities. And oftentimes we don't realize, but uh, organizations do a lot. Fortune 500 companies, or in my case, from my company, we do a lot of charitable of work, uh, investing in communities, volunteering our time, serving specific needs. Um, and many of the team members that I work with are have specific passions for causes mm -hmm. that have that they have personal ties to. So how funny is it that I work for a bank, but now I'm sitting here right. <laughs> having this conversation <laughs> with you. And my bank actually sponsors many organizations that cater to foster care. And all of that is what led Stephanie to her current position as Assistant Vice President of Regional Communications at Wells Fargo. It's time to bring our show and its first season to a close. Over the past several weeks, we've had the privilege of sitting with Casey, Shakri, Ananda, and Stephanie as they shared their lives with us. We want to take this opportunity to thank each of them for contributing to What the Foster. Without their willingness to be vulnerable with us, this podcast would never have been possible. Now, we'd like to close in some of Stephanie's words of wisdom for youth in care. Without further ado, here's Stephanie. Uh, first thing first, bet on yourself. Really, um, believe in yourself, believe in your abilities to achieve what you've set out to do. So I talked a little bit about my journey as a, um, uh, you know, the average. Initially, I was an ace. <laughs> More than should be. The average student, um, and I wasn't good at every class. I mean, I had C's mm -hmm. in my again math, math. courses because I'm just not good at math. It's just not my forte, no. and that's all right. Yeah. That is all right. And but understanding that there's an opportunity for everybody to go to college if that is the path that you've chosen. I mean, you can go to a trade, you can do whatever you want to do. But uh, when it comes to a, a pursuing a higher education, you absolutely can. You can do it. The scholarships that I mentioned that I obtained um, were a mixture of my academic merits, but also my involvement. Really being involved in high school, you know, having that part-time job, showcasing that I'm showcasing that I'm a well-rounded student. I can have a part-time job and also go to school and also be part of any extracurricular activities. Scholarship programs want to see that. They want to see how you are giving back to society. So for anyone that's interested in starting the college journey, I would encourage you to go on to, number one, better yourself. Number two, find out resources that are out there for you to, um, like programs that are out there for you to be a part of. There are many pre-college programs. Um, I think there's one called College uh, NJCs. Okay. I think that's for the like academically talented students and they set you up with internships. Um, a lot of companies have those type of internship pre-college or college prep programs available that really get you ready for college, whether through internships or courses. And so I would encourage anybody interested to speak with your guidance counselor, find out, if you're, if you're in high school, find out what programs are available or have them, have your counselor research some opportunities for you to be a part of so and for those that are already in college 
you know, um, you know, I talked about surrounding yourself with positive people. Finding mentors, number one. Find, you know, find mentors that are um, older than you, more experienced, and can share life experiences. Because oftentimes mentors can teach you how to avoid certain things, certain. Um, I don't want to say mistakes because mistakes are all learning experiences, but oftentimes by surrounding yourself with mentors, you're able to sort of skip over certain right. choices by learning from the experts, right? So you're learning. So let's just say there's a class that you um, shouldn't take. By take talking to a mentor, you can skip over the class and maybe take something else um, instead of that particular class. And, and you know wasting time so you're really getting a lot of benefit and um, yeah those are my three tips for now season one of what the foster has been a production of umbrella please let us know what you think by leaving us a review on itunes spotify stitcher or google Podcasts. you can also reach out to us on facebook or instagram to let us know what you thought that's umbrella.nj on either one of those platforms thank you again for listening